Welcome to BSD Talk number 154. It's Tuesday, July 8, 2008. The following interview was actually recorded about a week ago. I'm sorry for the delay in getting it out to you. Things have been a little busy here. But anyway, here it is. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking once again with Matthew Dillon. Thanks for coming back onto the show. Thank you for having me. Pretty soon, we'll be seeing Dragonfly BSD 2.0. I guess that's just around the corner. Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons that I read for delaying it a little bit was so that you could finish up some work on the Hammer file system. That's so I, right. So I thought maybe we could we could start with that. I've been reading the Dragonfly BSD Digest almost daily, just waiting for all these little tidbits that they keep uh, posting there. So it's it's been quite exciting to watch all the, the work that you've been doing. Obviously, a lot of work on Hammer. Yeah, uh, just about, about all of it, in fact. That's obviously one of the new things in Dragonfly BSD 2.0 and one of the things you've been focusing on. So why don't we talk about that and maybe give us an update on how the work is going with Hammer. Okay. Well, uh, basically, uh, the original plan was to do the 2.0 release in uh, December, December, January. We do a release every six months. And a great deal of progress had been made, but it wasn't anywhere near ready for prime time in January. And we didn't want to, or I didn't really want to call the release 2.0, because 2.0 is a fairly, you know, it's supposed to be a big deal, uh, without having uh, the file system done. So we just rolled another, uh, you know, 1.12 and, uh, and delayed 2.0 till uh, July. And so mid-July, which is going to be in about three weeks, uh, we're going to have our 2.0 release uh, with Hammer. And from what I've been reading, it looks like you really are approaching um, at least one large set of features that you're hoping to have complete. Not not everything, but it looks at least like, you know, for the purposes of a of a single workstation, most of the hammer work is done. Yes, yeah. Um, quite a few features have been finalized and are, have been tested and, and are working. And I could go through them very quickly. The 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 original impetus for writing hammer was, uh, well, the, well, I should start with the uh, eventual goal, which will probably be you know, a year from now, and that's to have a file system that's fully cluster-capable, multi-master and cluster-capable. And it kind of ties in with the whole idea that, that uh, we want to get working in Dragonfly with a uh, cluster file system and a cluster kernel and having a complete cache coherency between uh, machines or across machines in the cluster. Um, but uh, that's you know that's that's the final feature so to speak, and that certainly isn't isn't done yet because there's a lot of kernel related work for the cache coherency side before we can actually do that. So what Hammer uh, does have uh, this release is pretty much everything else that we wanted or that I wanted to uh, put in the file system. And the first thing to note is that I really wanted Hammer to be a a replacement for UFS, a successor. And UFS has always had a number of 
of issues with it uh, that allowed, really allowed the, the many of the Linux file systems and, and other new file systems like CFS to overtake it. And over the, over the last, I don't know, you know, the last 15, 20 years, uh, UFS has, has had a number of optimizations added to it, but they're really just hacks. They're a front-end directory cache and stuff like that. Uh, and it really hasn't taken UFS where it needs to go. So the first thing I wanted Hammer to be able to do was not have to FSIC on reboot. Uh, it's a major issue with UFS. It limits the number of inodes you can have in a UFS file system because uh, the number of inodes directly translates and the number of directories directly translates to the, the amount of memory required to FSIC. So uh, Hammer is a, basically a nearly instant mount. Uh, and I'll, I'll describe what it actually does uh, a little later on. So no FSIC for Hammer. The second big ticket item for Hammer is uh, history retention on the live file system. And what that basically means is whenever the file system syncs to disk, which is every 30 seconds the kernel does it, uh, that you can then go back and say, I want to know what the file system looked like 30 seconds ago, a minute ago, a minute and a half ago two minutes ago, uh, fine-grained history retention and the ability to access that data as a snapshot just simply by seeding uh, into a directory and, and doing a little extension that specifies the as-of transaction ID. And if you seed into the root of the file system with an as-of transaction ID, poof, you've got a snapshot of the entire file system as of that transaction ID. The uh, history retention is done on sync. It's not done in the memory caches. So uh, if you make a quick change and you want to go back three seconds, you can't do that. But if you make a quick change and you sync and you want to go back three seconds, or if you want to simply go back you know, a minute and you haven't bothered syncing, well, the, the kernel has done that for you, so you can go back a minute. So, so we, ha we have this history retention mechanism. And you, know, you ask, well, what is it good for? It's good for just a huge number of things. There are, there are a lot of things that you can do with it. For one thing you get, it's a stable snapshot, which means that if you access a snapshot and you say, tar it up and pipe it to MD5, and five days later you can tar up that same snapshot on your live file system and you'll get the same MD5 uh, check out of it. A second reason would be for uh, audit trail, well, maybe not audit trail, but audit checks. Uh, with the fine-grained history retention, uh, you can determine not only when a file is changed, but how often it's been changed and what those changes were down to 30-second interval uh, until you prune the file system. And then the third really big ticket item is, is for backups. Instead of a typical backup these days, if you're not backing up the tape, and, and most people aren't anymore because it's, the file system is simply too large, you have to back up to a live copy, basically. If you're trying to do an incremental backup, then you have an issue of, well, how do you do the incremental backup? And the most common method used uh, that I know of is you create a duplicate of the directory structure, and you hard link everything that hasn't changed, and you copy any files uh, or new directories that have changed, and you do that every day. So after a month, you have 30, quote, snapshots of the file system using the hard link method with probably you know, 20 million inodes, and it keeps going up. And, it, and basically, it's rather wasteful space. It's hard to manage. It's not the best way to do a backup of the file system. 
Uh, and so with Hammer's history retention, what you do instead is Hammer is retaining all this information, and clearly that means you delete the file and you haven't actually freed up any space. So Hammer has a, a pruning mechanic where you can create a soft link or a set of soft links or in real time an ongoing set of soft links, say from a cron job, uh, to different snapshots of the file system. And then you can tell a utility to scan the file system and get rid of any junk that's not needed to retain those particular snapshots. And it still retains all the fine grain, 30-second grain information from the last, the most recent snapshot softlink you create to current. So you still have that. So the way you do your backup then is, well, not only do you have a backup of your live file system on your production system, but also on your LAN backup machine or your off-site backup machine, you basically just just do a, a, a mirror or a CP dupe or you know copy my well maybe not copy my SAR but you know RDIS that kind of thing, and you don't have to use a hard link trick or anything else. You just do a sync to your backup system, and you create you know snapshot soft links on the backup system and prune that as a means of managing the backup system. And there you have it. You have backups going as far back as you want or as you have space for, uh, very easily managed, and also very space efficient because it's not at, you're not actually having to duplicate the directory structure. And so that's the, the history retention aspect of the file system. I didn't expect it, but for the first release, the performance is going to be pretty good. The hammer uses a B-tree, and there's a certain overhead involved with, uh, with using a B-tree to basically index everything, not only inodes and directory entries, but also file blocks. It is, the, the design is extent-based in that each B-tree element can reference an arbitrary amount of data, well, up to two gigs per element. But the initial implementation, uh, because there are issues, uh, particularly with the way the history retention works, the initial implementation really only uses uh, a fixed block size of 16K for files under a meg and 64K for files greater than a meg. So the performance has turned out to be actually uh, quite good. I've managed to get platter rates on my admittedly, admittedly fairly low-cost uh, RAID system. And so those are the big ticket items. There are no inode limitations. Uh, inodes are not, everything in Hammer is dynamically allocated. So you can move stuff around. Oh, that's another big deal. I'll get to that. I'm just going to go through the rest of the list. <laughs> because, right. you know, I could talk about this forever. Yes. So hopefully I'm not running on uh, too badly. We wanted, or I wanted to make the file system mirroring capable. And what I mean when I say mirroring capable is that I wanted on a live file system that's constantly undergoing updates to be able to serialize a stream of changes made to that file system without having to scan the entire B-tree every time I want to, to batch a, a run. And so it's going to be able to do that. And, and we use that by reducing the write performance a bit by propagating uh, transaction ID up the B-tree uh, to root. And that allows the mirroring code basically to only scan down the nodes that have changed since it's the last time that it, it did a mirror. And that's all completely non-queued, and that's a very important aspect of the mirroring capability that I want to have for the file system. Uh, non-queued meaning that it doesn't, there's no separate queue of all the changes made to the file system. It does it by scanning the B-tree 
in an optimal fashion. What that gives you is an ability to have, uh, well, the, mirror, the, the mirroring operation is no longer tied directly to the front-end operations being done on the file system. So you can mirror to a target that's off on the Internet. You can mirror to targets that are on uh, unreliable connections. Or you're con- constantly disconnecting. You can uh, do a live streaming mirror or you can do a batch. You know, it gives you a lot of options on how and when you want to mirror the file system. Oh, and you can also have you know, multiple mirroring targets, each uh, at a different point in the mirroring process uh, without weighing down the file system. If you think of your typical, say, Oracle database, I believe they use queues uh, for mirroring and replication. I didn't want to have to do that uh, for a file system. So uh, then the next feature uh, that Hammer has, and here I'm describing uh, everything I've been describing pretty much are features that are in and working now. The next feature is the reblocker, and admittedly in the first release, Hammer's low-level allocation layer is it's not very it's not very good. I mean, it's it's it doesn't localize the data near the directories, you know, that's for the files being written and stuff like that. So if you have a lot of random writes, it gets kind of mixed up. Um, but the saving grace of the file system is that it has a reblocker that has the ability to dynamically reallocate every meta structure and every data block uh, on the media. And it basically does that by scanning the B-tree and basically reallocating everything that's referenced by the B-tree and the B-tree nodes and elements as well. Uh, And that's the way the file system is optimized. And and the idea there is that on a live system, you do that with a cron job with a, a limited time uh, so you say, you know, every night spend X amount of minutes reblocking the file system. The next night, pick up, pick up where you left off, continue reblocking the file system. You know, only spend X amount of time doing it, and don't bother doing it during the day when you're live and and uh, and the load is higher. So that's the reblocker, uh, and you do that, and all this you do live. So all this operates on the live file system. You don't have to unmount it. The uh, the media structures are all basically based on a dynamic record size, even though the records in the first release are fairly static in size because they're based around a B-tree and around a uh, kind of a record idea rather than a a block map or indirect map idea. All those structures are extensible. So if we need to, as the file system matures and we go through different versions, we hope to be able to maintain backwards compatibility uh, even if we wind up making major changes to, to the file system. I've seen recently that there's been a lot of requests, you know, as you've made some changes and, and made some new design decisions, you've been asking people to, you know, reformat and new FS. So this right, and I want to get all those done. That's all pre-release. I want to get all the hard stuff done before the release so I don't have to do it after the release. And I'll give you an example of one of the major media changes I made. The, the low-level, uh, I, I said before that the low-level... Uh, allocator. This is what allocates just raw bytes from storage for use in whatever metadata structure needs an allocation. This uh, had a well, different types of metadata were were broken down, and there was a separate allocation index for each type. And it wasn't really a per. There's something called large blocks in Hammer that are eight megs. Uh, basic buffer size 16K, large blocks are 8 megs. Large blocks are assigned to metadata types, 
and then small block allocations uh, down to 16-byte granularity are allocated out of those large blocks. There's only one index for that. And I really wanted each large block to have its own append index so in a post-release version of Hammer, we could update the low-level storage allocator to be able to do more localized allocations from anywhere on the disk rather than uh, being restricted to these uh, indexes. So that's an example of a major change I, I decided I wanted to do before the, before the release. Uh, and all of the changes have been like that uh, in order to support uh, major ongoing work uh, that's expected to occur after the first release and yet still maintain uh, backwards compatibility. Uh, what else? Uh, support for very large file systems. Everything in Hammer is based on 64-bit offsets, and uh, I decided to use byte granular offsets in instead of sector-based block numbers. So it's basically 64-bit offsets, raw access, uh, multi-volume access on the back end up to 256 volumes. And so basically you can take that 64-bit space and, and break it down. I use uh, 4 bits for a media type or a metadata type. I use 8 bits for uh, the volume identifier. So that chops 12 bits off 64 bits. And what you get, uh, and then the, re the remainder gives you about... 4,096 uh, terabytes per volume times 256 volume, volumes. So that's about an exabyte. And so that's what Hammer can address with a single file system. And you can also do volumes within volumes, right? Well, not at a raw storage level. Uh, it can do pseudo file systems within the file system. Well, here, let me just finish up the, uh, the, okay. the, uh, the rest of the list, and sure. then I'll talk about pseudo file systems. Data integrity check. It, has a, it basically CRCs everything. It does it uh, non-recursively, which means that, uh, for example, the CRC for a B-tree node is stored in that B-tree node, not stored in the parent of the B-tree node. And the reason I do that is because I, I really wanted Hammer to be high-performing. I wanted to know when there was corruption of the disk, but I didn't want to... Uh, I didn't think, and I still don't think, that I can use the CRC as a means of recovering it, for example, like ZFS does with it. I think it uses, what, 128-bit uh, one-way hash or something like that. It's something big uh, that really gives it an ability to use that as a means of aiding in recovery. But I'm using little 32-bit CRCs. Their only job is to say, hey, something screwed up. And then, you know, you go from there in terms of how you want to recover the file system. Uh, so it has that. Well, that's basically the end of the list. 64-bit uh, inodes, 64-bit offsets, 64-bit pretty much everything. Uh, so the, uh, the pseudo-file systems, since everything is record-based and everything is, is indexed in the B-tree, uh, the B-tree elements, the keys, are not tiny little entities. The keys are... Uh, an object ID, an offset or database key or something special, uh, an object type, and there's a, you know, a couple of other things, uh, a, a creation transaction ID because of the historical access mechanic, a deletion transaction ID also uses to support the historical access trans, uh, mechanic, and what's called a localization field. And the local, localization field is a 32-bit entity, and I can use that, I use the top 16 bits, as a, quote, pseudo-file system selector. So basically, the B-tree can support up to 
65,536 pseudofile systems within that hammer file system. It's all still just one global B tree, but that creates an abstraction that allows me to create these pseudofile systems. And the, the purpose of the pseudofile systems is that they're in their own localization domain, which means that uh, you can reblock them independently. You can you can treat them separately. Uh, their storage is not really mixed together on disk, but once you reblock it, it'll, you know they'll have their own chunks pretty much. But the main reason is for the mirroring. Uh, each pseudofile system has its own inode numbering space, which means that when you're mirroring a file system to another box, you can give that mirror a pseudofile system under hammer on an, on the other box and you can mirror the inode numbers along with everything else. You get an exact copy, and that's a very important feature if we intend to support a multi-master clustering in the future. Now, you know, I'm sort of approaching this from a system administrator's perspective. A lot of the details you, that you've been discussing are definitely over my head, but I'm, I'm hoping that it will benefit many of the listeners. You know, but for my purposes, when I approach a file system, you know, there's a lot of the things that you've talked about. You know, how large of a file system does it support? What's its read and write performance? You know, some of the other features, you know, are its ability to do RAID, um, you know, mirroring, things like that. Mm-hmm. The other one is, you know, is it growable? You know, as I add more hard disks right, to a system, right. can I expand an existing volume onto those? Does it support those features? Well, it does, although I should add a couple of caveats in that, that those features are not really available in the first release, but the media structures have been designed to support them. And I'll explain that. Uh, well, first of all, for RAID, Hammer isn't CFS. It's not trying to implement its own RAID storage manager as it built in the file system. It's definitely not doing that. So if you're doing RAID, the RAID has to be another layer, uh, either software or hardware uh, that's under the file system. For uh, what, was, what was the other thing? Growable file systems. Oh, growable. Yeah, growing and shrinking file systems. Hammer's low-level storage allocator is based on a free map, which basically maps, it's, a two, it's a basically a two-layer block map uh, with eight megabyte uh, blocks. And it basically maps the entire 64, well, really 60-bit uh, address space uh, that, that can possibly be addressed by uh, the file system. Uh, so it's, it's, it's basically a sparse map. Each volume will be kind of a, a little a sparse section inside that map. What that means is that when you recouple it with the, when you couple it with the reblocker, uh, you can map out sections and reblock data out of those sections into other sections, and you can map in new sections. So effectively, uh, if you want to uh, grow a partition, you can do it either by adding a volume to the file system or by growing an existing partition and then telling the file system, hey, that space is now available. It just has to make some quick adjustments to, to the free map and poof, the space is available. If you want to shrink a partition, it has to mark those areas of the free map as, you know, don't allocate anything new out of these areas. And then it has to use the reblocker to copy whatever data was in those areas out. And once you've done, done that, you'd be able to uh, remove that volume from the file system or uh, shrink the partition. This is a feature that I, I, people have asked for. I've definitely contemplated in, the, uh, in designing the media structures. It won't be available in the first release, but it's certainly on the drawing boards. Now, you'd mentioned that this is an improvement, hopefully, upon UFS. 
And obviously UFS has such a long history behind it that, that people really trust it. So what, what does it take to get people to trust a new file system like Hammer? Well, if you, if you ignore the, the issues UFS has with its uh, of huge limitations on how big the file system can be uh, due to the FSIC memory requirements and no instant mount, if you ignore those, then it comes down to a system administrator being able to say, this file system is not corrupt. And the way you do that with Hammer is really very simple. Uh, you can tell it to, well, actually, you can tell it to, uh, you can generate a serialized mirror stream and tell it uh, to pick up at transaction ID zero. It will scan the entire file system. And if it doesn't get any CRC errors, that file system is clean. I mean, there's absolutely going to be no corruption, you know, virtually guaranteed uh, if you're able to scan the file system and not get any CRC errors. So I think from the point of view of the administrator, being able to say that, being able to, you know, to run a program, no matter how long it takes, that will tell you uh, this file system is not corrupt, is going to be uh, a major avenue for Hammer to gain, uh, you know, some respect in the community and, uh hopefully build a history of reliability. And will this be a bootable file system? Uh, not in the first release. There's some big chunks of linear space that the, uh, the new FS hammer reserves, uh, the idea being that uh, the boot system would then be able to use that uh, to get the kernel and, and other stuff, rather than having to scan uh, the file system itself, which is the whole B-tree thing. It might be a little too much for a boot program to do. And how large of volumes have you tried this on? Uh, so far, the biggest volume I've tried it on personally has been about, oh, I don't know, two terabytes, I think. How, how fast does it allocate? I mean, it's not allocating inodes, but... Uh... No, it's not allocating inodes, no cylinder groups. Um, it basically, it's allocating the, uh, the free map. Uh, it's very quick. It usually takes just a few seconds to format a file system that large. Are you, I mean, obviously your, your head has been deep in hammer for the past couple months, but are you aware of any other major features of Dragonfly BSD 2.0 that you're excited about? In the 2.0 release since January, boy, my mind is completely blank uh, because I've been so focused on Hammer. We've done a considerable amount of work on the networking infrastructure. Um, a lot of that has been uh, invisible to user land. We've done some additional work on the virtual kernel, to make it more efficient, uh, to make it easier for uh, non-root users to run it and connect into a network, uh, have network access, uh, stuff like that. We, of course, been, have been updating utilities, fixing bugs, working on uh, the lightweight uh, process infrastructure, uh, working on the threading library to uh, make it work with more packages, uh, working on the uh, package source uh, infrastructure, actually working on the system to make it more compatible with the package source infrastructure in order to, uh, in order for more packages to compile uh, without us having to uh, hack them up. Stuff like that for the most part. Now you had written recently a, I guess it ended up being a PDF document, design document yeah. uh, for Hammer that people can look at. And uh, there's some information in there for people who are interested in porting or possibly porting Hammer to other yeah, operating it's a, systems. like one short paragraph at the moment. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a lot, but um, I have, you know, the, to get to here, Hammer really had to be built for Dragonfly. 
And uh, there are issues on the front end and back end that are Dragonfly specific. Um, there's some things that the Dragonfly kernel, the, the, the VFS layer in the kernel does that the VFS layer in other systems do not do. For example, uh, a Dragonfly deals with the autonomy uh, requirements. If you're doing a, a read on, from one process in a very large write from another, drag, or you're doing a rename in one process and a create or remove in another uh, that conflicts, where the namespace conflicts, the Dragonfly kernel deals with that and the file system doesn't have to. Uh, in other systems, uh, for example, FreeBSD, the file system is responsible for a lot of that. Uh, so there are issues like that. There are issues with using variable block sizes in the buffer cache. There's issues with uh, how, how large uh, a file system buffer you can use. Issues like that. So you know, a lot of there's issues with threading. Uh, Dragonfly needs or Hammer needs uh, some uh, helper threads to do various things. Uh, and so you know, the porting issues are not minor, but the the, the bulk of the code is uh, fairly portable, I think. And BSD licensed. And it's all BSD licensed. Yes. All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for this very technical description of Hammer, and you know, I'm definitely excited to try it out. It's going to, of course, cause a lot of people to buy a lot of extra large disks just so they can start <laughs> playing with it. You know, I need some myself. In, in many respects, my ability to test it is, is based on my ability to stuff, uh, to purchase disks that, that give me the storage required without going over my energy budget for my machine room. All right. Well, thanks again. Great. Thank you. If you'd like to leave a comment on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 154.